Well, Christian friends, last Sunday morning in our opening message on Blue Collar Christmas, I told you about Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe, of course, was the guy who was on Discovery Channel there with his program called Dirty Jobs. And Mike Rowe has a personal mission. He is out on this mission to stir up more and more Americans to embrace the skilled jobs market. This is the blue collar jobs that really keep America moving forward. And Mike is correct. He's correct in saying that not only this current generation, but up and coming generations need to be told that a four year degree isn't the only way to go. A four year college degree isn't the only way to find success and happiness for one's life. There are thousands upon thousands of skilled jobs out there, blue-collar jobs available today. They're out there for the taking. And the people who are embracing these skilled jobs are fast discovering that the sky really is the limit. Now, family, just for instance this week, I spotted an article that appeared back in the Wall Street Journal on April 29th. And this particular news article talked about the large number of American women who are now stepping up and securing so many of these skilled job opportunities. The title of this article in the Wall Street Journal was this, Women Wanted, Blue Collar Fields Find New Workforce. And it featured this byline, the share of truck drivers, electricians, plumbers, and mechanics who are women recently touched the highest level in 25 years. Now, family, one of the women who was highlighted in this article was a lady. Her name is Kenyette Godhigh Bell, and she's from Clearwater, Florida. She's a 46-year-old who traded in her real estate license for a truck driver's license. And now she makes her living making regular deliveries sitting behind the steering wheel of an 18-wheeler. This article went on to point out that because America's need for skilled workers is so great and because the pay scale of these skilled jobs only continues to rise, more and more people, including many women, are now stepping up to secure these new job opportunities. Or family, if we could say it in a different way, more and more people, including more and more women, are discovering that availability opens the doors to possibility. Well, Christian friends, we're going to continue our sermon series here on Blue Collar Christmas. And this morning, you and I are going to do a study of Mary. Mary, of course, was that young Jewish peasant girl. She was married to a blue collar guy, a blue collar carpenter whose name was Joseph. And in almost every respect, Mary also was, was just as ordinary. Mary was just as commonplace as Joseph was. Mary wasn't born into wealth, she wasn't born into privilege, she was not born into great resources, and yet God selected her. God chose her, and God was going to use her in such a mighty way to be the earthly mother of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And family, we're going to discover today in God's Word that it was Mary's humble availability that opened the door for God's possibility. Friends, I want you to open your Bibles with me here to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Now friends, other than the Lord Jesus himself, perhaps no other figure in all the pages of Scripture stirs up as much controversy 
or polarizes opinions so quickly as Mary. Historically speaking, people typically respond to Mary's biography in one of two extremes. Now, there are many people on the one side who come from the side of the Roman Catholic Church, and on this side, they magnify Mary. They believe Mary to be a saint who is to be venerated. She's to be prayed to. She's to be adored. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church officially puts much emphasis on the person of Mary. Catholicism views Mary, their official teaching on Mary is that she is the co-redeemer. They believe her to be the co-redeemer. In other words, just as Jesus becomes the second Adam, so they see Mary to be the second Eve, whom God uses to bring about our salvation. The Roman Catholic Church also teaches this about Mary. They teach that Mary was sinless at her birth. They teach that Mary was sinless at her birth. That is the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception is not about Jesus. The Immaculate Conception of the Roman Catholic doctrine is a belief that Mary was born sinless. And then, friends, since the uh, 1950s, the Roman Catholic Church has officially taught the doctrine that's called the Assumption of Mary, and this is basically a belief that since Mary was born without sin, so if Mary did not sin, if she lived a sinless life, then she must have gone straight to heaven without dying. And that is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. It's called the Assumption of Mary, that she was just assumed up into heaven at the end of her earthly days. Friends, without a doubt, Roman Catholic doctrines elevate Mary nearly to as high as the Lord Jesus himself. But that's just one perspective. That's one side of the coin. The other side, the other perspective, comes from some very hot-blooded Protestants who react so violently to this teaching about Mary. And many Protestants swing the pendulum hard the other way, to the point where, where they go to the other extreme. And they actually want to degrade Mary. They want to denigrate Mary. They want to put Mary down as if she's some unimportant, inconsequential role player, just some girl that God picked for a womb. Well, family, I'm here to tell you this morning that both of those approaches have lost the biblical balance. Both of those extremes have lost the biblical balance put forth by the Scriptures. God's Word is so clear. Mary is not the co-redeemer. She's not worthy of our worship and prayer. She wasn't sinless from her birth, nor did she go straight to heaven upon the end of her life without dying. But friends, at the same time, the Bible does not ascribe Mary to be just some girl, some insignificant pawn that God chose just randomly because he needed a womb for the incarnation of Jesus. Well, friends, what's the balanced perspective? What's the biblical approach for how we should look and think regarding Mary? What insights does the Bible give us about Mary? What relevant lessons can you and I learn as Christians today for our lives from Mary? What can Mary teach you and I today about this connection? This connection that exists between availability, our availability, and God's possibility. Well, friends, here in the scriptures today, I want us to look together at three authentic actions. 
three authentic actions that were taken by Mary. And I hope you'll take some notes here. These notes, some sermon notes were provided for you there in your bulletin. I hope you'll follow along. And let's look this morning at three authentic actions that were taken by Mary. Here's the first one. Number one, Mary surrendered herself as God's willing servant. Number one, Mary surrendered herself as God's willing servant. Now, I hope you have your copy of your scriptures open with me here. We are in Luke chapter 1. And I hope you'll follow along with me now as I read Luke 1, beginning in verse 26, all the way down to verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, family, just before we start to dig in here to Mary's response to Gabriel's unbelievable message, it's important for us just to pause quickly and let's consider just a few of the key elements that Luke is explaining here. First of all, let's start with verse 27. Luke makes it very clear that Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin. Luke uses a special word here in the original Greek text. It's the word parthenos which always means a girl who is unmarried, a girl who has not had physical relations with her husband. In other words, to say it a different way, a virgin. Now, why is it so important that Mary be a virgin? Well, the virgin birth ensures that Jesus was born without a sin nature. That's why the virgin birth is so important. And that's why the Bible makes such an emphasis that Mary was a virgin because it ensures that Jesus is born without a sin nature. So the Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary. Look what he says. Rejoice, highly favored one. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, friends, what's so amazing about that little phrase there, highly favored one, it could also be translated like this. One who is greatly graced. One who is graciously accepted. Now, this is so important for us, family, because it shows us, it designates to us that Mary is the receiver of great grace. She is not the dispenser 
of great grace. In other words, I'm telling you, Mary has no divine grace in and of herself. Grace does not flow from Mary. Grace is coming from God to Mary. It means God has accepted her. God has chosen her in a special way by His grace. She is being the recipient of grace and not the dispenser of it. The point is this, friend. You see here, Gabriel's message is not about the greatness of Mary, but on the greatness of God. That's the focus here. Not the greatness of Mary, but the greatness of God, who is extending His wonderful grace to her. But notice that. I want you to notice Gabriel's whole message here emphasizes, did you see this? He emphasizes the greatness of the Son. The greatness of the Son to be born. Did you notice Gabriel never says, Oh Mary, you blessed mother, holy and sinless, overflowing with such wonderful divinity. He never says that, does he? No, Gabriel's emphasis is on the greatness of the Son. The greatness of the Son. Look at it again. Look at those words. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. He will be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So friend, don't miss the emphasis there. The emphasis is not on Mary. It is on the Son who is to come from Mary. But let's get to verse 34, shall we? Mary's first response to Gabriel, did you notice, is not disbelief and it's not doubt. There's no doubting here. There's no uh, disbelief. But what there is, is at least some curiosity. She says, how is this even possible since I have not had physical relations with a man? Remember, we studied a little bit last week. Mary and Joseph were still in this period called the betrothal period. They were just engaged, so to speak. So how was she supposed to get pregnant with a child when, when her official consummation had not yet taken place with Joseph? I mean, that's, that's her husband, right? Well, that's when Gabriel explains. The Holy Spirit is getting involved. The Holy Spirit's going to bring, bring about this conception supernaturally. It's going to happen supernaturally. That is, it's going to be over and above natural physical relations. Well, wow, that really must have been a shock to Mary. But notice what the angel does next. He sows a little seed with her that will help build up her faith. Did you see that? Look at verse 36. Gabriel reminds Mary about Elizabeth. He says, may I remind you about Elizabeth, your cousin? The people for a long time had called her barren. They said she could never get pregnant. But now look at Elizabeth. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy. So Mary, let that encourage your heart that God can do, God can do what man says is impossible. Family, that brings us to verse 38. Now this is where we've got to dial in, okay? You with me? Verse 38 is the point. We better not miss. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Or another way of saying it, Mary says, Gabriel, I consider myself the female bond slave of the Lord. I'm the female bond slave. I have heard you and I believe you and I submit myself to whatever the Lord would want to do with my life. Christian friends, you and I should be truly amazed here. I mean really amazed 
at what a humble, godly girl Mary was. I mean, do you know, do you know young Christian girls who have this attitude, this perspective, this kind of humility? Friends, I want you to just remember here for a moment what Mary was agreeing to. Here she was, not fully married yet, still in the betrothal process, and she's about to become pregnant. And that means that she is about to have to endure the stigma of being an unwed mother. People would see her around town with this big belly, and they knew that she was not officially married yet, and they would point fingers at her, and they would talk behind her back, and they would gossip about her, they would whisper about her. All kinds of talk would be going across town, accusing her of infidelity, of adultery, fornication. And that stigma, dear friends, would actually follow her for the rest of her days. In fact, not only would it follow Mary for the rest of her days, that same stigma people tried to attach to Jesus himself. In John chapter 8, verse 41, I won't make you turn there, but Jews were publicly criticizing Jesus. And one of the criticisms leveled against the Lord Jesus in John 8, 41, the Jews accused Jesus of being an illegitimate son. That's John 8, 41. In other words, they accused Jesus of being born of sexual immorality. Where does that go back to? It goes back to Mary in this situation. Friends, the bottom line for Mary, this was an incredible privilege. Such a special privilege. God was granting her. But this special privilege was not going to come without adversity and some real struggles. But yet, the Scriptures say that despite all that, Mary still surrendered herself. She surrendered her entire self to the Lord to do the Lord's will. Christians, do you see a, do you see a relevant application there for your own Christian life today? Christian, would you take a look at your own heart for a moment? Christian friend, can you say that you're just as willing? Are you just as humble? Are you just as compliant as Mary was? Are you just as inclined, Christian friend, to do the things that God would have you to do? Are you willing, dear friend, to submit yourself and your life and your heart and your plans to the Lord? Are you willing to be used of the Lord in some way? Even if it means hardship, or pain, or some personal cost. Look at Mary here. She was willing to turn over her whole life, her whole life, her reputation, her future, her standing in the community, even her own body. She surrendered it up for the Lord's work. Christian friend, do you have that kind of willingness? Do you have that kind of humility in you? Are you willing to do what God wants you to do, even if it puts you on the outs with people? when it puts you on the outside looking in with your family or your friends, maybe your classmates, maybe the co-workers? Are you willing to obey God? Are you willing to go along with what God wants, even if it costs you your money or your popularity or your reputation? Christian friend, can I remind you that is exactly what God calls every Christian to. 
We look at Mary and we look at her willingness to become this sacrifice of sorts, to give everything to bring Jesus to this world. But friend, have you forgotten that that is exactly what God calls you to? This same willing sacrifice to give everything to be pleasing to God. Look in your notes, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Paul writes these words as well, remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, For you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Christian, when we look at Mary's first authentic action, it should be such a challenge for us even in the here and now. Yes, Mary was. She was just a blue-collar girl, but wow, wow, what incredible commitment she had to serve the Lord, to be pleasing to the Lord, to be used by the Lord. This experience of bringing Jesus into the world, it would have great personal cost, but Mary was willing to pay it. Now, let's move on. Can I show you a second authentic action? Second authentic action that Mary took, number two, Mary stated her own need for a Savior. Number two, Mary stated her own need for a Savior. Now, skip down with me in Luke chapter 1 here to verse 46. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, friends, we're skipping over here verses 36, or excuse me, verses uh, 39 to verse 45. And we'll just quickly summarize here. Luke, the gospel writer, tells us, following the angel's announcement, Mary travels to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, as we said a moment ago, was in her own pregnancy. She was six months along. She was going to give birth to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, is a very key player in the life and ministry of Jesus because John the Baptist becomes the herald or the forerunner for Jesus. Well, verse 45, we didn't read it, but Elizabeth is supernaturally moved by the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is seeing God's work in Mary's life, but then beginning in verses 46 and following, now Mary responds. Mary responds to Elizabeth's statements with some statements of her own. And what we have here in verses 46 and following is this special section. Your Bible probably has it blocked out, kind of set off to the side a little bit, and it's because that is a song. This is a special song. It's a, it's, a, it's a section of praise. This section is often called by theologians Mary's Song. Sometimes it has the word Magnificat attached to it. You might have heard that word before. Mary's Magnificat. The word Magnificat is a Latin word. It's the Latin word for magnify. Now, the Bible you have sitting in your hands today is an English Bible. Now, we all remember that the original scriptures, Hebrew of the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And you and I have an English translation in our hands today. But prior to the English translation, one of the earlier translations was the translation of the Bible into Latin, in Latin. 
And in Latin, the first word of this paragraph is the word magnificat. Magnificat. It's this word magnify. So believers, what's so important here about this section is I want you to see the way that Mary dedicates all of the praise to God. All of the praise is not to her own attention, but it is all about God and glorifying Him, magnifying Him. It's all about God's work and God's character, and I want you to see that. Now, here in our text, Mary uses this phrase, and I'm pointing this out for you, and Bob even pointed it out for us in our scripture reading today. Notice how many times Mary uses this phrase, He has. He has. So the whole song is not about the glory or greatness of Mary. It's all about the glory and greatness of God. He has. That shows up like eight or nine times. But family, we're going to come back to the song in a minute. Because what I really want you to see is what's in verse 47 and into verse 48. Would you look at that? Look closely. Look what Mary says there. For my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now family, those two statements, they ought, to, they ought to leap off the page at you. These two statements, they ought to jump off of Scripture into your mind and heart. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, Mary acknowledges her need of a Savior. Mary acknowledges she needs a Savior. So Mary isn't divine. Mary isn't sinless. Mary was not born free of original sin. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. From her own lips, Mary acknowledges she needs a Savior. She was not born the lofty queen of heaven. She is not the co-redemptrix of salvation. No, she says she was born in a humble estate, just a humble girl. And she needs, she acknowledges, she needs the amazing grace of God in her life just as much as every other sinner walking this planet. Friends, what a privilege that God has given her to give birth to the Savior. The Savior that this planet needed. And guess what? The Savior that Mary needed. Dear friend, can I just pause right here to ask you a very important question? I wonder, friend, if perhaps, perhaps, dear friend, during the hustle and bustle of this December, I wonder if perhaps you have forgotten the most fundamental truth of all as it relates to Christmas, the fundamental truth that Christmas is about a Savior. Christmas is about a Savior. It is about your need and my need and Mary's need and all of our need. We need a Savior. And that is what Christmas is all about. It is about Jesus Christ who came, why? To be our Savior. You know, maybe you're listening to this message today and you aren't a Christian. Friend, I want to ask you, what is your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior? Friend, has there ever been a day in your life when you genuinely acknowledged that you're a sinner? 
and that you need a Savior. Friend, the Bible wants you to know the reason Jesus came is because you need a Savior. You are a sinner just like Joseph and Mary and all the rest of us, and you need a Savior. But friend, you need to know He must be your Savior. He must be your Savior. It is not, an, it is not enough that your wife is a Christian. It is not enough that your, your mom or your dad is a Christian. It is not enough that some of your relatives are a Christian. Friend, I'm asking, do you have Jesus as your Savior? Friend, don't go another Christmas without embracing Jesus, who is the answer to your greatest need. In your notes today, I gave you this wonderful quote that was shared by Max Licato. He said this, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology... God will have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. That's exactly right. Friend, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope today's the day. I hope today is the day that you would invite Jesus into your life well, you say, how do I do that? Well, friend, it's not hard. The Bible says you, you begin by humbling yourself. You humble your own heart. You acknowledge that you are broken, that you are a sinner, that you are a person who needs a Savior. You confess your sins to Jesus. And then by the heart of believing faith, you believe on Jesus. You believe that you're the problem and He's the answer. You have the sin, but He is the Savior. Friend, you trust in Jesus Christ alone. You don't trust in the church. You don't trust the pastor. You don't trust those other Christians around. No, your trust is in Jesus Christ. You're trusting Him alone. Dear friend, you can do that today. And I pray you will. I pray today will be the day that you trust in Jesus, that He becomes your Savior. But look, if you have, if you have questions about that, you want to know more, you want someone to talk to you. Maybe you have more questions. You want to have someone pray with you. Well, friend, don't, don't hesitate. Come and talk to me after the service today. Nothing would mean more to us than to talk to you, help you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, what a joyful Christmas this would be for you, for you to come to know Jesus Christ. It would be a truly life-changing Christmas for you as you put your trust in Jesus Christ for Him to become your Savior this Christmas. Well, family, I want to show you here one more authentic action. Can we do it? One more authentic action that Mary takes in this great narrative. Here's the third one, number three. Mary showed her thankfulness with praise. Number three, Mary showed her thankfulness with praise. Look with me again at verse 46 and following. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with His arm. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of the humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich He sends away empty. He's helped His servant Israel in the remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Friends, 
This beautiful song here, doesn't it give us a great window into the heart of Mary? It really does. What a window. Mary understands that God has chosen her. He has graced her in such a special way. He's chosen her out of all the millions of women to walk the planet. He's chosen her to bring the Messiah to the world. And you see here Mary's fullness of spirits just overflowing with praise. Just a, just a thankful heart filled with praise to God. Friend, again, I want to just point out to you the, this poetic song, the whole focus of the song. It isn't about Mary. It's all about God. Verses 46 to 49, she's showering God with praise for his blessings, his unexpected kindness. 50 to 53, she praises God for his character, the way he, he lifts up the humble, he puts down the proud. Verses 54 and 55, she, she recognizes that God's keeping his promises here. This isn't something God just pulled out of thin air. These are great promises that have come down all the way from Father Abraham, the promise to the people that the Savior was coming. Friends, I just hope you can see here Mary's praises are just saturated with the, the character and the goodness of God. And friend, there's a great challenge for us here, Christians. There's such a relevant application for your, for your life here. Just like Mary, if you're a Christian today, you know the Lord. You've come to know the Lord. You've come to experience His kindness through His salvation, through Jesus Christ. Friend, just like Mary, you and I, we've been on the receiving end of so much of God's blessings. Well, that means for us Christians, we of all people, we ought to be the people who overflow with gratitude and joy and thanksgiving at what God has done for us. You know how often every, every December our, our Christmas seasons are filled up with so much music. Man, that, that's one of the great things we love about December. So much great music. We love the Christmas season for that, don't we? But listen, Christian friend, you've been on the receiving end of God's mercies, His grace. Let me tell you something. Every season is your season for praise. Every season. Not just a Christmas season. Every season is your season to praise God. Psalm 118.24, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Ephesians 5, Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord in your hearts. Giving thanks. Look what it says. Always. Not just in December. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Here's a powerful challenge for you, Christian friend. This Christmas season, you ought to be praising God. You ought to be praising God with the same fervency that you're pouring into your Christmas shopping. You ought to be praising God with the same fervency that you're putting into those Christmas cards or your holiday baking or the decorating of your home or all the Christmas lights that you're so excited about. Your praise of God ought to match that same fervency. Oh, what a shame it is. What a shame when some Christians can't scrape together enough joy in God because they wasted it all on so many lesser things. Little Christmas parties and office get-togethers and let's do a cookie exchange. And all of a sudden, it gets to be December 24th and it's, eh, my joy's all spent. No, Christian, remember. Remember the blessings that you have been given. Remember what's come to you in Christ 
So sing and praise and rejoice and celebrate God's greatness to you. If you really are walking closely with the Lord, then just like Mary, your heart, it will overflow with joyful praise, joyful gratitude of God's work, His amazing work in your life. So believer, listen to me. I I beg you, don't let your Christmas turn inward. Don't let your Christmas turn inward. Turn your Christmas upward. Turn it upward. Make this a season for praising your God. Well, Christians, as we close this morning, I hope you'll come away encouraged, and I do hope you'll come away stimulated by the biography of Mary. She really was just a blue-collar girl. She was obscure and and ordinary in, in so many respects. And yet God used Mary in an extraordinary way because of her humility, because of her devotion to God, because of her willingness to serve. So believer, let me ask you, how are you going to live differently this next week based on what you've heard this morning? How will you live differently even later today based on the truth that you've heard now from God's Word? Christian, I want to ask you, will you willingly surrender to God's instructions? Will you willingly surrender, even if it means some pain or some problems or some personal price? Will you surrender to do what God wants you to do? And then secondly, will you acknowledge your ongoing need for your Savior? Will you continue to acknowledge you are a very needy person? You need Jesus today. You needed Him yesterday. You need Him today. You need Him tomorrow too. You are a very needy person. Will you acknowledge that? Your need for a Savior. Your need for God's grace to overflow in your life day by day. Christian, I'm asking, will you have that humble approach to life? The humble approach to your family. The humble approach to your school. The humble approach to your job. Will you take the humble approach rather than the haughty approach? And then lastly, Christian, will you stop to remember that Christmas is about God? and not about you. Christmas is not about you. It is about God. So will you turn your eyes upward? Will you turn your heart heavenward? Will you turn your songs outward and upward rather than inward? Will you take these next two weeks leading up to the 25th, and will you give God your best, your best worship, your best joy, your best praise, your best gratitude. Will you rejoice, Christian, that God always keeps His promises? He's kept them to you. His promises are good. He's kept His promises to you through Jesus Christ. You know, Christians, in today's world, it's not easy to strike the right balance. It's not. Most of us typically swing the pendulum to one side or the other on so many things. And down through the generations, that's what people sadly have done with Mary. Some people have lifted her into veneration, while others have degraded her into humiliation. But the Bible gives us the right approach. She was humble. She was an obedient servant. She was a willing young woman. She was the exact woman God needed to bring Jesus the Savior into this world. So Christian friend, I want you to be encouraged as you go out for your new week. Be encouraged, Christian, that God can use you too. 
Now, you might feel like that's impossible, but as we've learned this morning, nothing is impossible with God. Just like Mary, your availability opens the door to God's possibility. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.